Good evening. Welcome to Element City Church. We are delighted to have you here, delighted to have you tuning in online, whether you're tuning in tonight or later in this week. Those of you gathered in the room, everybody doing well? It is a beautiful day out. Uh, anyone go to the air show this week? A few of you, a few of you. Uh, anyone hear the air show this week? Yeah, that's all of us, uh, because it's all over Tucson. So glad uh, to have you here with us tonight. Uh, if you happen to be new, I met a couple people who are maybe new to Elements. Uh, just uh, letting let you know a couple different things. You can download our free app if you want. If you just go to your app store, type in Elements City Church, and you'll find us. And if you scroll down a couple tiles, there's a connect card there. We would love to connect with you digitally. Uh, it's a way for us to kind of follow up with you for the next couple weeks. I uh, promise we won't spam you, but just wonder to text uh, a week or an email a week. Just We know it's hard connected to a new place, and so this is our way of reaching out and kind of building that bridge with you. And to connect with you in person, we do that through our 10-minute party, which happens in this back corner. If you're online, you don't get to come to the party, I'm sorry. But if you're here in the room, you get to come to our 10-minute party. We've got the best kettle corn this side of the Grand Canyon we'd love to give you, and just kind of hear your story, how you found us, and how we can help maybe you take some next steps. So uh, one of the things, just to remind that we have coming up next Saturday is our Easter Family Festival. We'll talk more about that at the end. But we got jumping castles, we got face painting, we got hot dogs, we got like a whole bunch of stuff happening. A lot of you have volunteered for that. Uh, if you still want to help volunteer with that, you can just sign ups at the Next Steps table. You can sign up for that tonight. Uh, but if you are a family here, some of our families are checking kids in, we just want to encourage you to bring a family, bring a friend. If you know a neighbor that has some kids and want to be a part of the Easter egg hunt, a part of face painting, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun here. We just in, invite you to invite people with you uh, and to come next Saturday, 10 to 2, anytime in that window of time, uh, and you can be a part of that. Sound good? Sounds good. Okay, great. Um, we are going to pray for the Church of the Week. We do that every single Sunday as we start. We know there's about a million plus people in southern Arizona that aren't connected in any community of faith. And so we just pray for the church, not just our church. And so we're going to pray for Shining Light Baptist Church, Pastor Kenneth White. And so if you're here in the room, I'm going to invite you to stand up as we get started. We're going to lean into worship. We're starting a new series tonight. I'll be back in a little bit to, to kind of unpack that and get us launched. But as we worship together. Let's pray for Shining Light Baptist Church. And so, Father, we pause tonight and we just ask your best blessings over Pastor Kenneth White and his team and all of the, the, the leadership there. Um, Father, we're asking that you would bless their church, that you continue to expand their reach, their impact. And I know they're off of 26th Street and just uh, a whole region of the world that maybe we're not even close to yet. But Father, people there that you love and that you want to connect with. And so we just pray your blessing over their church. God, we pray your blessing over the church across our city. Would you continue to move in the midst of your community? And we ask for that tonight with us. God, would your spirit be here in a way that it would move and in, 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 in that you would move and in, in be active within our hearts and stirring us to hear from you, to, to dwell in your presence, to leave here different because we've spent time with you. So in these next few moments as we worship you in song, as we aim uh, kind of our attention in your direction, would you receive our hearts, receive our worship? May it be a blessing to you, and may you also uh, move in our midst, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good evening, church. 
just forward. You calm the storm that surrounds me. You're just forward. The darkness has to retreat. You're just one touch. I feel the presence. It's just one touch My eyes are open to see My heart can't help but believe There's nothing that a God can't There's not a mountain that He can't move Your grace and name that makes a way There's nothing that a God can't do Broken inside me. What oh, just takes a word? Yeah, just a word. Yeah, you revive every dream. Yeah, just one touch. And I feel the power of heaven. Yeah, just one touch. My eyes are open to see. My
Jesus, those words that just, that comes directly from our heart. And we just want to sing of who you are. We want to worship you for who you are. So would you make those words true in our hearts? We may know them in our minds, but we need to live them out in our hearts, that you are the one and only God, that you are worthy of our song. And so we, we just want to sacrifice. We want to lay down our lives for you, for the things uh, of your kingdom to advance your kingdom. And it's so easy in a moment like this to love you with our affections. But God, we're asking that you would help us um, just to, to grow in our confidence tonight. And the truths of what we just sang of who you are is that come tomorrow, come Thursday and Friday, later on in the week, that it's not just our, our affections that we're giving you then, that we still would give them to you, but we wanna to continue to give you our lives, our actions, the things that we do, the things that we say, the way that we treat others. God, all of those things should flow from a heart of worship. And so your gospel is transformative. When we receive you, Jesus, that changes who we are. It changes our identity. It gives us something to live for. So God, we believe it. You're the wonder-working God. And there are people who are here tonight who, God, they're gonna need a miracle in their life for that to be true. That they need to hear from you. They need to, to see you at work around them. And so God, that's my prayer. Would you reveal yourself to those tonight, to the skeptic, to those who may be standing at a distance and not really sure about this. There might be people in the room who are, who are grieving. And even in this moment, we lift up uh, Micah and the south of our family as they're grieving the loss of a loved one uh, in such tragic circumstances. And yet, even in the midst of grief, God, you, you've shown us that we can find comfort in you, that we can find peace in you in those moments. And so would you work wonders for those who need your peace tonight, that they would feel that. Maybe there's those who are here um, who just, they're anxious, they're hurting. And so they need to experience the wonder-working God when it comes to some sort of physical health or mental health. And so would you reveal yourself as the healer tonight? But ultimately, Jesus, you are the way, you're the truth, you're the life. That's how we come to the Father. That's how we come to this wonder-working God. And so it's you we lift up, Jesus. It's you that we worship. Would you be present with us tonight? And speak through Jack now as he comes to share. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Friends, it's always good to worship with you. Um, I want you to think back to middle school. I know that's scary. I'm sorry. Uh, think back to, to middle school days and how many of you remember like a tug of war battle in middle school? Maybe it was guys versus gals. Maybe it was just one team, seventh grade versus eighth grade, maybe whatever that was. Do you remember the tug of war that was happening and going on. I want you to actually think back to that. Maybe it was at a camp experience that you got to go to. Maybe it was an athletic uh, team that you are a part of, but you actually got to experience, like I want you to remember like the rope burns. Do you remember the rope burns and how like it hurt your hand? And like it just, they call it a burn and it literally feels that way. Or maybe just the tension that you had as you tugged back and forth and maybe you took a couple steps back and you're like, our team is winning we're pulling the other team, and then maybe they started. Do you, do you know? Like, do you have that in your head? Do you feel that a little bit? Now, I want you to think about your life. Do you ever feel that as a follower of Jesus, and I know some of you who may be here watching online aren't necessarily a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're spiritually searching, and that's awesome. In fact, we want to be a church where people who are spiritually seeking can kind of say, hey, I don't, I'm not part of the convinced yet, but I'm, I'm investigating. We want to be that kind of place. But for maybe many of you who have said yes to Jesus, and you're trying to follow after Jesus and to walk in his ways and live by the truth of the scriptures, do you ever feel like you're caught in a tug of war? that to actually live this way out, to live out the way of Jesus amidst the, the culture in which we live, it just, it feels like you're in a tug of war at times. Maybe it feels like you're at this place where you're trying to understand and, and kind of lean into the reality of what is happening, but maybe as we dive into this new series, you might identify and be able to, to say, hey, that is something I feel, something I sense, Trying to live out this life of Jesus in the culture in which we live is a challenge. It's a struggle, and I feel this tension pulling back and forth. Anyone feel that? I think that's the reality in which we're in. And as we start this new series, we're kind of we're, we're fast forwarding in a couple weeks. We're going to celebrate Easter. And I just invite you to, to do Easter with us on that Sunday night, April 9th at 5 o'clock. We're going to celebrate the victory that we have in Jesus. And all of the hope that we, we find in him, that he is the one who is the victor over sin, over death, over the devil. Ultimately, he's the one that's going to set everything right. But until that happens, we, we, you and I, have to navigate life in the midst of this tension and this struggle, this battle that goes on, uh, this tug of war, if you will. And if you feel that, and you know that, then you're actually identifying with what the scriptures talk about, the reality that we live in this war, we live in this battle zone, so to speak, that we have an enemy. And that's what really what this series is about, is what is our, how do we navigate the spiritual battle that we're in? And we told throughout scripture is to resist and to rest, to rest in the finished work of what Jesus did, what he accomplished. That's what we celebrate on Easter. And until he makes everything right, we all have to navigate 
this resistance that we're in. We're told to, to speak up and, and, and kind of live into the truth of the gospel and to resist him. So there's a few different books uh, that are kind of speaking into this series a little bit, a lot with the scripture as well. And so uh, I put all of that in your sermon notes. And so if you have the app, you can scroll down to sermon notes and you can find the descriptions of those. But we just invite you, if you are interested in this and trying to understand how do you begin to understand just the, kind of the biblical foundation of evil. Like, I don't have time to unpack that tonight, uh, but I want to give a little bit of understanding and a little bit of backstory so that we can kind of understand the tension that we all navigate and the tension we have to wrestle with. Uh, some people will kind of discount that and say, that's really not real. I mean, haven't we grown to the 21st century mindset that evil is not real and it's just kind of this thing around us and yet we see our timelines blown up with so much heartache? And so much pain. For some, they will say, hey, the whole Lucifer, Satan story, isn't that just a projection of humanity's worst fears? It's kind of like the adult version of the monster under the bed. Is this stuff real? Well, uh, scriptures seem to say that it is. Aren't these stories of the evil spirits kind of a primitive way of describing mental illness back then? Or kind of the way that people are maladjusted to life? Well, maybe but it seems like there's more. Shouldn't we take the parts of kind of the spiritual warfare in the scripture, shouldn't we take that less seriously now in the 21st century mind that we've developed? Well, I don't know. I mean, I guess we can have that conversation, but it seems that you really can't take the Bible seriously if you don't talk about the existence of evil, if you don't talk about the tension that really is truly there. There's no way to read the Bible seriously and to hold on to thoughts that Satan or evil are just occasionally mentioned or non-significant themes in the scripture because they're all over. In fact, it's just a precursor. You think about it. Back in Genesis, the very beginning, God creating. And at the very beginning, the very onset, we have this impact that there's a hostile influence to humanity. In 33 separate instances in all four Gospels and the book of Acts, we are told explicitly about the reality of supernatural evil. In Ephesians 6, the Apostle Paul says our most significant struggle in life, and he calls it a struggle, kind of relating to this tension that's there, is not against enemies of blood and flesh, but against the rulers and authorities and cosmic powers of this present darkness. Similar themes occur in 10 other different letter epistles to the early churches. And the book of Revelation ends the whole entire scripture with a declaration that the conclusion of history will involve a final confrontation between God and Satan. So you really can't take the Bible serious if you're going to push this off and say, nope, this isn't real. It's way more than just an adult version of the boogeyman under the bed. Maybe there, this tension is there. So you, you can't ignore or to ignore this reality is to be ignorant, really, is what Jesus is saying. Maybe the biggest reality check is that Jesus acknowledges the reality of what he called the devil, the accuser, the deceiver, the enemy. The life, the life you live, the life I live, we live on a battlefield. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, the reality is we live in the midst of that. And every moment throughout the day, there are things happening around you that you cannot see, that you don't see by the natural eye. The Apostle Paul refers to this again back in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord. Not be strong in your power, 
It's be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. That's where our stance as a follower of Jesus, as one who has surrendered our life, given our life to Jesus, that's where our power comes from. It doesn't come from your gumption or your willpower. It comes from your position in your identity as one saved by Christ. And in his power and in the Lord, you are to put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms. We live in a world of two realms, physical, spiritual. There is more to life than what meets the eye. And my hunch is you've known that, and you sense that, and you see that. There's more than just the materialism that so much consumes our life. Paul's saying there's an unseen world that exists around us. And in chapter 1 of the book of Ephesians, he talks about how every ruler, every authority, every power, every dominion submits itself to this Jesus. That he is the victory. He's what we celebrate on Easter. And the victory that he secures. That he is superior to every spiritual being that exists. He is the name above all names, the king above all kings, the Lord above all lords. And in his power over every rule and authority, as we put on his armor, we can stand against the enemy's strategies in the world in which we live. Uh, For centuries, teachers of the way of Jesus used a paradigm that seems kind of faded in our modern world. But they talked about the three enemies of the soul, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And though you won't see Jesus using those particular words or the New Testament writers using those words, you you see the categories of that in the scriptures and all throughout the New Testament. And what you see is you read in the Apostle Paul, as we mentioned earlier, this idea of fight the good fight of faith, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God. Be careful, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against these spiritual forces, he says. 1 Corinthians 10, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. In fact, our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds, the fortresses that the enemy tries to set up in your heart and mind. This is very counterintuitive language to a savior who is nonviolent, isn't it? Jesus didn't destroy his enemies on the battlefield. Why? Because he was fighting a different battle. He was fighting for something that was so much grander and greater than what you and I see. That's what the scriptures declare, that it's his victory over these spiritual forces that allows us to then begin to stand and take a posture of resistance against what goes on around us. And honestly, there are many people who push back against this and say, well, I don't know if I totally buy that. Uh, that it seems like it could be explained in, in science or medicine or whatever. Uh, maybe this whole idea of the devil is just a pre-modern myth akin to like Thorne's hammer or the tooth fairy. I don't know if I buy that. Or we scratch our heads sometimes in the New Testament when it talks about the, the issue of the flesh And we don't know what that means in a sensual world that says that your flesh, to feel good, means that you're being good. Well, is it? Or when we hear the idea of the world, we might envision a a spittle-spewing street preacher with a bullhorn that is railing against the dangers of music or hot topics or politics or the impending rapture someday. And yet, when it all gets real quiet, 
and you're kind of pushing back from the wear and tear of life and what it leaves on you. Isn't there just a part of you that ponders, why do I feel this incessant tug of war and this incessant battle that I feel like I have to walk into? Do you ever wrestle with these questions? Why is the world such a mess? Maybe this question. Why am I such a mess? Do you ever wrestle with this? Do you ever wrestle with the reality that maybe the scriptures and the ancient writers and followers of Jesus describe over and over again that we're in this battle, we're in this war on purpose because they're pointing to something that maybe we want to push aside, maybe we want to ignore, but to ignore it is to be ignorant. And and so what we see in the scriptures is this call to say we are in a battle, we're in this tug of war, and how we resist is maybe where we need to go. And so that's what we want to look at this next couple of weeks, is how do we resist against this tug of war, against the schemes of the enemy that come our way? How do we stand up in resistance in the Lord and in his mighty power? How do we resist against the schemes of what's happening? See, the problem is that there's a war on lies. There's a war on lies. And not so much the lies we tell, but more the lies we live. And what we begin to say, the war, kind of the war of the world, the flesh, the devil, what ancient early followers of Jesus would talk about, these three enemy strategies, maybe the deceptive ideas would flow from the devil himself. This idea of deception goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. When Satan tempts Eve, did the Lord really say? And it's taking a little bit of truth and beginning to twist it and begin to put in deception and distrust of the fact that maybe you really can't trust God. Maybe you really do need to take things into your own hands. And it plays to our disordered desires of the flesh. These disordered desires become a community type thing when they become normalized in a sinful society of the world around us. And so we have this tug of war. Jesus wooing on one side to say, hey, live by truth. Come and follow me. And then the world and our flesh and the devil kind of sowing deceptive thoughts and saying, no, no, follow these lies. Chase after these things. These will bring real fulfillment. And we all know in our own journey and people's journey around us how we pursued after those things and yet find them lacking and not really fulfilling in any such way. John Mark Comer in his book, Live No Lies, has this quote, our fight with the devil is first and foremost a fight to take back control of our minds from the captivity to lies and to liberate them with the weapon of truth. How we fight back, how we resist the lies that keep getting spewed out by the world or by our own flesh or or by the devil himself in deceptive ways, hey, live this way, live this way, live this way. And yet Jesus is saying, no, no, live this way. And there's this tension, this tug of war that is going on. For Jesus, the devil is kind of this archetype of a villain who is hell-bent on destruction, where his motto is, tear it all down. Wherever he finds life, he tries to stamp it out. Beauty, deface it. Love, corrupt it. Unity, fragment it into a million pieces. Human flourishing, will just push him toward anarchy or tyranny. Either will do. 
His anti-life, pro-death, pro-chaos agenda is an insatiable fire. And it goes on around us all the time. That's why your timeline and mine drip with just this litany of chaos and confusion. We all see it. And yet Jesus, on the other hand, is the author of life, of life itself, an advocate for all that is good and beautiful and true, specifically love. Why? Because God is love. And the devil is in rebellion against that. Has been from day one, and it has continued. Though he is on a timeline, and he does not win in the end. But between now and then, does everything he can to bring more brokenness into it. And we all feel it. We all can see it when we turn on the news. And some people will push back and go, well, no, that's just broken people doing broken things. True. We all have capacity over ourselves to do broken things or good things. But the reality is we see systemic, I mean, just, I can't say the word, but Systems of things that play out in this way that begin to create havoc and heartache all around. That's why secular theories of evil simply don't add up to a valid or complete explanation of broken human behavior. So what C.S. Lewis writes is he says, there's no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God or counterclaimed by Satan. There's this tug of war going on. And so here's the, here's the verse for this entire series. Here's what we're going to anchor ourselves to. 1 Peter 5, 8, and 9. This is the Apostle Peter who's speaking to the church and saying, listen, here's what your needs to be about. You are to be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. What are you to do? Resist him. Resist him. The Bible doesn't say ignore the devil and he will flee from you. It says resist him and he will flee from you. The scope of the spiritual war is universal. It's cosmic in scope and involves every language, every people group, every nation, every tribe, every family, every life. Which means involvement in the spiritual war is inevitable. You do not choose whether or not you're going to be involved. Your involvement in the spiritual war began the day you were born. You cannot ignore this war. You are a part of it. And your job as a follower of Jesus, my job as a follower of Jesus, is to resist, to push back against it. How do we resist? Well, we start by resisting the lies. We resist the lies that are taking place. And what's thrown out by our flesh, by the world, by the devil himself, of saying these are the things to pursue after. I'm reminded of Jesus' words as he's talking and he's describing this enemy. He's describing this, this evil force that we're about and this idea that we're pushing back and resisting. He says, listen, you belong to your father. He's speaking to people who are kind of trying to make even religion this idea of something that dominates over people. And he says, the devil, you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. It's not something he does on the side. It is who he is. For he is a liar and he is the father of lies. When the devil speaks, he speaks to try to buy Get us to buy a lie. 
to get us to buy into this reality of this is what will bring fulfillment, this is what will take us to places. It's what psychologist David Brenner says, it's not so much the lies we tell ourselves, it's the lies we actually begin to live and begin to lean into. For example, suppose you believe the lie that you are unlovable. For whatever circumstance that would get you to that place, whether it's you pick that up in your life journey and your fractured relationship with your parents, and somehow along the way you bought the lie that you are unlovable, or maybe through a broken relationship, uh, a breakup, a failure, or some just demonic deposit into your mind, and you begin to adopt that into your mindset. You begin to take that into your own neurobiology and that you let that lie begin to shape your behavior. And because you believe that you are not worthy of love, you let people treat you in ways that are disrespectful and demeaning, and you begin to act in ways that are disrespectful and demeaning. And you begin to live into this lie long enough, and tragically, what is false actually becomes true for you. And for some of you who are counselors, you know this. You've seen this lived out in the lives of those that you walk alongside. And pretty soon, they are alienated even from their self or the very relationships they long for. They've set themselves up and bought the lie and lived it into reality. This truth, this ideology begins to become idolatry into our own lives, that it begins to shape us and and begins to take us into places that are broken in so many ways. Uh, There's a foreign correspondent, uh, David Patrick, uh, Patrick, who wrote a book called The War in 140 Characters, How Social Media is Reshaping Conflict in the 21st Century. Uh, He kind of makes this premise that so many wars are no longer about territory, though some are, just ask Ukraine. So this idea that that still happens, but so much of the wars and battles that take place are really about ideology. Whose ideology is going to win? Whose narrative is going to set the pace for people to buy into? What's interesting is that Jesus comes as a rabbi and as a teacher. Did you ever think about that? Obviously, he was a son of a carpenter, but he grows up as a son of a carpenter and becomes a rabbi and a teacher. Do you ever wonder why? Of all the times where Jesus could have inserted himself into history, into a people group, he comes into a place as a teacher. Why? Because for the Jewish community, a rabbi was the rock star of the day. Teachers were the ones who would lay out truth, and and people would begin to take their yoke upon them. Their yoke was, here's the truth of how real life works. Here's how real life begins to take shape, and people would begin to see this and take this. What is a teacher? A teacher is a truth teller. It's a moral cartographer. Cartographer is a, a map maker. Teachers give mental maps into reality. And in doing so, they set us free to live in congruence with what is reality. That's why Jesus, so often when you read through the gospel accounts, he's not just telling pithy stories. He's telling truth. He's continually proclaiming the truth that that we have in our humanity been invited to live in the way of truth that he designed 
as the designer and creator himself. Here's how to live the best possible life. Even if you're not a follower of Jesus and you don't buy the whole idea that he came and that you're a sinner and that you need him as a savior, Jesus would still say, here's the best possible way to live life. As the author of life, let me show you the best possible way to go. I will lead you into what will flourish and what will actually benefit you if you design your life this way. You're actually going to live into the reality of how you've been created and what reality of creation exists around you, not the brokenness of a broken world. That's why Jesus, one of his most powerful statements we find in John 10.10, where he sets up this counter-opposing views, where he says the thief... Speaking of the enemy, another title. In fact, anytime you see Jesus referring to the devil, it's always a title. It's kind of any Harry Potter fans, it's him who is not named. Like, it's just a title. He never actually addresses him by his real name. And so this idea, what he's saying is the thief comes to steal and to kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and that you may have it to the what? To the full that you might actually begin to live the best possible way. That's how we describe faith. Faith is putting yourself into the context of believing in someone or something. Everybody operates with faith. It's not just for religious people. All of us live by faith. We have faith in something or someone to simply live out what is true. It means I put my trust in something or someone and I remain loyal to it. So what is your faith in? That's the question. Is it into a philosophy system? Is it into a worldly structure? Is it into the ways of this world or the ideas of just pleasing your flesh and your desires and your passions? Is it living into what? What is that? We have all sorts of ideology that comes our way, all sorts of everyday ideas that come, some ideas we adopt and we begin to believe them, some ideas we go, that's ridiculous, and we push aside, right? That happens to you every single week and every single month. That's why when you apprentice under Jesus as a disciple, one who is beginning to try to follow and live into the way of Jesus, you're more than just sitting down and listening to a a little sermon teaching from Jesus. You're beginning to actually enlist yourself into this battle that Jesus talks about. So here's the, 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 the question for evaluation tonight. So whose mental maps are defining your reality? Whose mental maps are you believing and basing your entire life and decision-making off of? Whose ideas are you trusting in? Is it the ways of this world? Here's what the world says. Be successful, do this. Here's what this world says. Pursue these things, and this will bring significance and fulfillment. Is it just your flesh? Hey, if it feels good, do good. Like, that's going to be awesome. It's going to lead you to the places that you want to go. So just do what you feel. Is it that? Is it the lies and deception that the devil puts out? Or is it Jesus who says this is the way to go? And we all live by faith in someone or something. So who is the narrative that you're believing? What lies have you bought into? What lies have I bought into? What lies are holding you captive and restricting you from being your best? Lies that maybe have your mind twisted up in knots of confusion. 
lies about your body or sexuality, lies about whether or not you're the object of God's love and affection, lies about your past, or even lies about whether there's a hope in a future for you. See, Jesus and the apostles warn us over and over again about the dangers of lies and of deception, of false doctrine and false teachers who are wolves in sheep's clothing. To fight back against the devil in the schemes of the world and the flesh around us, we must resist the lies. How do you resist the lies? Challenging, but how do you resist? You replace lies with truth. That's how you really resist. You replace the devil's lies with God's truth. You think about Scripture. You actually think Scripture. In fact, if you're struggling with a lie that you've bought into, the invitation is let's find a verse and just begin to memorize that. And every time that lie begins to come into your mind, you just say the scriptural truth. Here's the truth. I don't know if I'm lovable, okay? For God so loved Jack that he gave up his whole, everything for him. I am lovable. That is the truth. I'm replacing the lie with truth. I'm beginning to lean into this. The theme is to think scripture. Every time you identify the lie, you continue to come back. You don't try to fight against it. You just change the channel. When I was a kid, we had one remote control. Do you know what it was called? Jack. Yeah, I was the remote control. And my dad would go, hey, change the channel. Okay, now you can change it on your phone. That's pretty awesome. There's an app. You can talk to, like, Alexa and, like, have her change the channel or whatever. But, like, when it was, I was a kid, it was me. I had to do it. How do you fight back? You just change the channel. You change the channel from the lie that you're buying with the truth of what God is saying. This is why Dallas Willard says in The Renovation of the Heart, as we first turn away from God in our thoughts, that's Genesis chapter 3. Hey, did God really say this? And he's beginning to try to get Eve to change her thoughts, her thinking. Is God even trustworthy? Maybe he's hiding out or holding out from you. Did he really say this? And the whole deception begins to flow from there. As we first turned away from God in our thoughts, so it is in our thoughts that the first movement's back to the renovation of the heart. Thoughts are the place where we must and can begin to change. We did a whole series on this called Flip the Script a few months back. If this is a struggle for you, I just invite you to begin to lean into this. This is a struggle for all of us. Why? Just do the math. The average American adult watches TV and video online for five to six hours a day. The average millennial is on their phone up to four hours a day. That will add up in the end to almost a decade of your life if you live to be around 80. Think about that. Ten years of your life. Barna's research on millennials found that most will spend about 2,800 hours a year consuming digital content. But only 153 of the 2,800 are Christ-based content. The rest is internet cornucopia of YouTube, Instagram, Netflix, Apple, and name of the others. The point is, many of us spend so much of our day filling our mind with what the world, what flesh, what the enemy tries to say, here's the lies, here's the lies, buy them, and we fill our mind with them. And then we wonder why we detoured, and we wonder why we've deviated, why in the world we end up in the cul-de-sac that we end up in. 
Well, it's because we filled our mind with so many things. We're not communing. This is what the New Testament writers, Peter writes in 2 Peter, Peter uh, 2.19, people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. Whether that is a tyrant or self-defeating behavior, an addiction of any kind or other things, whether that's your phone. And if you let it master you, it begins to master you. This is why the New Testament writers portray our pre-Jesus life as one where the foolish and disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Does that not describe our world? Enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. Now, how do we push back? You gotta resist the lies. And how do you resist? Well, you change the channel. And you begin to replace it with the truth of God. We begin to live into the rhythms of Jesus, which is what we just spent the last five weeks talking about. What we'll come back to this summer. You begin to apprentice yourself into the rhythms and practices of Jesus. And as you do that, it's not your willpower that will help you overcome and resist the enemy. It's the Spirit's power that activated within you as you live in alignment with him that begins to push back and help you resist. See, it's the habits based on the life and the teachings of Jesus that help resist the habits of the flesh or the world or the deceptive ideology that the enemy tries to put into our world. And every time you practice a habit of Jesus, your spirit gets stronger and your flesh gets weaker. And that is how you begin to resist you begin to replace. So maybe here's the key takeaway for tonight. <clears throat> the truth from Jesus and the practices of Jesus are how you begin to resist the pull of the world and the flesh and the devil and his deceptive lies. Begin to replace with the truth. Begin to lean into the practices of Jesus. So we just spent five weeks talking about it. Now if you're new, you missed all that. That's okay. We have online. You can go back and catch up if you want. But what we tried to unpack is this whole idea of this rhythm of slowing in a world that's super fast-paced and that actually pushes us to live in a hurry. When you begin to slow down, you actually begin to align your life more in the rhythms of Jesus. When you practice simplicity, you're not consumed by so many pursuits in life that say, this is where you find fulfillment. You begin to actually say, no, you know what? I don't need all of that. I need some of that, but I actually can live more simply. And when I live more simply, I actually begin to experience more and more of God. Uh, when I practice solitude and silence, well, those are rhythms that actually begin to attune my ear, the ear of my heart and my soul, to something different than just the loud voices of the world around me, the things that scream for my attention and my devotion. That's why replacing lies with truth, the scripture, think scripture, change the channel to scripture. When you begin to push back and resist, it's this invitation to say, I'm really gonna actually begin to take Jesus serious with this. He practiced this, maybe I should practice this too. So now, after five weeks of us talking about it, here's the final invitation for you. What one practice of that of the last five weeks. I know that it struck a chord with you. You told us about it. 
but what one practice do you want to begin to try and experiment more with? I heard for some of you, it was just this idea of the practice of slowing. So you actually made yourself get in the longest line at the grocery store. Good for you. Good for you. Forego the self-checkout. Get in the longest line. Why? Because it forces you to slow down. Some of you told me the annoying reality of driving in the slow lane. I get it. I've been there. I know. I don't do it every day. But at least one day a week, I make myself drive in the slow lane. Why? Because I know I live in a world that makes me want to go faster and faster and faster and live in a hurry. And if I don't push back against that, then I'm really not walking in the rhythm of Jesus. And there's something I can learn when I put myself in a posture, in a position, to actually live out these rhythms of Jesus. So the invitation, again, is simply, listen, if you are a person who struggles with buying the lies, we all do. There isn't any one of us here, including me, who doesn't buy the lies that the world pushes or that the enemy tries to say and sell us. So when that happens, begin to find a scripture to say, I'm just going to keep repeating this over and over. And you may repeat it, and then five minutes later, you're kind of wrestling with the lie again. You know what you do in that moment? You just begin to repeat the truth again. That's what you do. This is not rocket science. This is I'm replacing the lie with the truth. I'm changing the channel. I'm not going to buy this anymore. I want to replace it with truth. I'm going to start to live in the rhythms of Jesus more and more. And so as we close, as the team comes back up, I just want to invite you to really think about what is that one practice that maybe struck a chord with you over the last few weeks that you want to live into a little bit more? And then what would it look like for this month to begin to do that? We're almost at the end of the month. So for the month of April, what would it look like for you to begin to practice that a little bit more? And so would you pray with me? Father, that's what we pray for. We, we know we're in a tug-of-war battle on the spiritual realm, that the enemy loves to have this deceptive ideology of lies that, that pull us and try to woo us away from you. But Jesus, your simple call was follow me. Not just in a religiosity way of checking the boxes, but in a literal, practical, relational way, we would follow you. And we know we have an enemy that wants to do everything possible to pull us and distract us and to detour us away from doing that. And so we, would you help us be a people that can resist by recognizing the lies that we've bought into, begin to push back with your truth, begin to lean into the rhythms of Jesus more, that this just becomes more and more natural for us not because our willpower is growing, but because the Spirit's power is growing within us as we attune ourselves and align ourselves with you. So Holy Spirit, I know this is kind of heady and deep, but I know in the simplest of ways, you long for your people to experience the best possible way to live. Jesus, that's what you taught. That's what you invited us to. 
The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you may have life, that you may have it to the full. Would you help us be a people that takes steps toward that full life with you?
that's a prayer of our heart. Jesus, we want more. We want more of you. We want more of the truth. We want more of this full life that you promise that is for us. So wherever you may be in your journey with Jesus, I just encourage you to let that be a prayer of your heart. I just, I want more. I'm tired of buying the lies. I'm tired of taking the detours that are unnecessary. I want more. So we're going to end with a, another song here and just invite you as that's kind of all about Jesus and just this invitation of just giving you space to kind of pray into this a little bit more through song. And before we sing that, just a couple quick things. Again, if you are a, a married couple here, we have our marriage retreat coming up in conjunction with Emmanuel in August 11 through 13. All the information's in the app. 50 bucks kind of holds your spot. If you want to be a part of that with us, we invite you to be, Amy and I will be there and a few others have already signed up and invite you to kind of do that and to hold your spot. And then again, reminder, next Saturday is our Easter Family Festival we're doing in conjunction with Emmanuel. We've got a lot of you who are volunteering, helping us pull that off and welcoming hopefully the two or 300 people that'll be here. Uh, and so if you want to sign up to help with that again, information's at the next steps table. You can sign up for that. I sent out an email this week with kind of more updates for Easter and things that are coming. If you do not receive that email, A, check your junk mail, and B, uh, let us know because maybe we don't have your email and we want to get it to you. Uh, Dinner tonight is uh, Toro Loco. Uh, So in about 25 minutes or so, there'll be a group of people there. If you're new, we have a group of people that goes out for dinner every Sunday night afterwards. Invite you to be a part of that and invite you, if you are new, we'd love to meet you at the 10-minute party, which will happen right at the end of this song. So as we kind of lean back into worship, I just invite you to take this space the next three minutes or so and just make this a, a moment of prayer for you kind of want more. I want to make it all about you. I'm kind of clearing things away, and I want my attention and my whole heart devotion be with you. Would you help me to resist the pulls and the tug of war that I have to walk around in this side of heaven? You're in it. I'm in it too, but we can resist.
It's all about Jesus, amen? We hope you have a great week. We'll see you on Saturday, all right?